1 Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. Hi, friends, and welcome to another episode of Recovery, a podcast for folks who are transitioning um, maybe out of ministry. Maybe they are transitioning in the way they do ministry. Maybe you're just switching jobs. Maybe you're just curious. However you found us, we're glad that you're here. I'm one of the hosts, Sarah Heath, and the other host is Justin Gentry. And today we have a very special guest for you. I'm excited about it. It's a friend of ours, Tim Whitaker. We met Tim at Theology Beer Camp. You keep hearing us talk about it. It was a great experience. But I've been following Tim for a while. Tim is the content creator of The New Evangelicals, also great website to go to. Tim's work is really about kind of dismantling some of the things like Christian nationalism that have been tied to evangelicalism in the last couple of years. I will let you know this is a pretty Christian-centric podcast this week, but it, I think it's good for those of us who are trying to figure out kind of where do we fit in in this story and is this story uh, for us. So I hope that you'll give it a listen and I also hope that you'll stay until the end. All right. So with no further ado, this is our conversation with Tim. Hi, friends. It is good to be back with you again uh, this week with our friend Tim, who we met at Theology Beer Camp. But I'll be honest, I had been watching Tim's videos for a long time. So Tim, we're so glad to have you here. Yeah, Justin, anything you want to say before we ask the uh, how long were you in prison question? (laughs) Uh, No, I just other than to say I really enjoyed my time with Tim at Theology Beer Camp and I've enjoyed your your is it coverage? Is it coverage? Is what you do coverage? Sure. Yeah, Uh, coverage stuff, stories, Asbury Revival and stuff. I just I appreciate the work that you're doing. And so, yeah, this is a real delight to be able to talk with you. I will say meeting you in real life. I we. We had the experience of Justin and I of meeting each other in real life this year as well. And Tim, I did not expect you to be so tall. So just <laughs> everyone just you can guess at how tall Tim is. He is not a small man. <laughs> yeah. I will say I I really we had a late night conversation uh, yeah. one of those nights that has yeah. stuck with me for a long time. So I really appreciated that. And it was great meeting both of you. And of course, beer camp was a great time. So it was awesome. It was yeah. so good. Come next year, friends. All right. So. Tim, how long were you in ministry? Did you ever serve in ministry? What did that look like? And how long were you in for? Well, I mean, I if we're being technical and we define ministry as any way of serving in church, then my earliest memories as a human were 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 ushering as a child, you know, like handing out bulletins to the people coming through all the way up to two years ago in April. Yeah, pretty much uh, two years ago in April of 2023. I, I have been serving in church, never on staff. I was always a volunteer person and that was intentional. But yeah, my entire life I've served in church. Wait, it was intentional. So yeah, it was, you, yeah. Okay. You were like, uh, I I'm mean, not going to be a professional Christian. Well, I, 
for a lot of, you know, I served in pretty small churches, you know, given like the mega church culture that we are aware of. And I just saw like how difficult the job was for many pastors and also a lot of like the back end stuff and kind of micromanagement and then being under a really not healthy pastor. And I was just always kind of a rebel in in like the Christian sense. You know, I was the hardcore kid. I wore the pro-life t-shirts that had, you know, you will not silence my message. You will not mock my God. You will stop killing my generation. I had that shirt. And then in bold, it said abortion is homicide on the front. I would wear that around thinking I'm so rebellious as like a Christian teenager, hardcore kid. So I always had that like anti-authority bent. And I just saw like, I was very close to many pastors and churches. I just said, eh, I don't really want to be micromanaged. I I, want to have permission to kind of explore however I need to. So I just never thought it would have been the right fit. Yeah. Wow. So (laughs) much to unpack there. I'm very excited about it. I do have to tell you, my my best girlfriend was super punk rock, which is only funny because I listened to all of that music. Like, name a band from back in the day that was like Christian hardcore. And I was, I, I, I've been to a Zayo show, like, but I looked like me, which is like, I, I, and I didn't have the nose ring. So I like looked like a sorority girl, but I was like going to like stretch Armstrong, Norma Jean when they were called ludicrous. I mean, I was doing all that. So my best girlfriend had a, a, you can, you guys can picture this too, a red hoodie, kind of like the ET hoodie. And she had that red hoodie. And then she had stitched on the back pornography rapes your mind. And I remember just being like, she is so hardcore. So bold. So bold. She's standing up for Jesus. And then she had another one that said, everything else is crap. Because it was like, compared to the Lord, everything else is crap. And I just remember being like, I could never be so bold in my faith to wear a (laughs) patch that talks about pornography. But also I was like slightly like, oh, pornography. Why is that on your, you know, I was, I was a little bit mortified and didn't know what to do about it. So I love that Tim was walking around spreading the good news. Yeah. How? The, the, the gospel of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Pro-life. Under, under his eye, of course. Yeah. Yes. yeah. How did you transition into the guy that you are today who, like, points out and, <laughs> I mean, you're still a rebel. That's for sure. Yeah. But you're, you're willing to... You do it with such openness. How did this transition, like, when did hardcore Tim that was walking around just <laughs> waiting for a corner to yell off of, um, yeah. like, how did you get to this more progressive version of Tim? Well, I mean, I'm still yelling. I'm still yelling on corners uh, of the internet. <laughs> I wouldn't really call it, you know, maybe like a, it, it wasn't like a flip. It was kind of a, just a natural progression of how I've always been. Just someone who was, you know, what I tell people is that my faith tradition radicalized me for Jesus. And I'm just, I'm just kind of flushing that out all the way. So it's <laughs> like, yeah. hey guys, like you kind of made me this way. And now I'm just using the, the, you know, perspective and tradition that you gave me. And I'm saying, wait a second. Even you don't follow this, <laughs> and that's yeah. a problem. So, <laughs> so that my my shift was, you know, it was just really an evolution. Uh, even when I was like in my my early twenties, mid twenties on Facebook, I would always be known as the person that's like who's controversial because I would call out the church for not being community centered. My 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 big you know problem was these mega churches, this light show, this smoke stuff. It's not the true church. I was I was very much a fundamentalist in that regard. And I had like a really weird combination of theologies at one time. So I, I tell people that and this is true. I would listen to Paul Washer 
Paul Washer is like a heavy fire and brimstone John MacArthur, but more extreme kind of preacher. Okay. <laughs> that exists. He, yeah. He went well. viral uh, for a, a, a sermon called A Sermon That Has Angered Many, where essentially he's talking to a youth group. He pretty much says that 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 most of them are not going to go to heaven. They applaud and he goes, I'm talking about you. Like I'm not talking about anyone else. Like he calls them out while they're applauding. You know, because like they're yeah. just like not biblical enough. So I was listening to that kind of stuff, like, yeah, true gospel. I want the truth of God's wow. word. But also I'm reading Rob Bell. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, like Velvet Elvis. Like, okay, this is an interesting perspective. Like the mm-hmm. the whole trampoline mm-hmm. analogy of the springs. Okay. And then I'm reading Shane Claiborne. I'm like, okay, social justice. Interesting. Like, yeah, if we are Christians, we, we want to be radical in all ways. So I kind of had these two different streams congruent in my in my life like i was very hardcore but also like hardcore in the sense of well if jesus is taking over my entire life and i want to follow jesus as consistently as possible it would make sense that i would then be thinking about how i interact in society and and what i advocate for both in my personal life and public life so that just yeah. kind of was was congruent and the big the big moment though for me of like the red alert like hey we we have a major problem in this faith tradition that you grew up in was mm-hmm. you know a very common one but it was 2016 that was the big wake up call of like okay so let me get this straight the people who raised me on like this purity culture ethic, right? Who said, listen, Tim, the highest calling you as a Christian can have as a teenager is don't touch yourself, don't touch anyone else until you're married, <laughs> right? And like yeah. pornography is bad, as as your friend very well knows, right? Who wore the red hoodie and all the stuff is bad. And then they were mad at me because I wouldn't vote for the gov- for the guy on the cover of Playboy magazine on his third marriage who's bragging about sexually assaulting women. And so for me, it was like, guys, um, you know that you taught me these ethics, right? Like right. you taught me like that 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 people who do I what, what you're describing. I learned it from you. Remember the yeah. 80s exactly. commercials? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So that was the yeah. beginning. That like I remember it, it was um, people are this is going to be a nerd reference. Maybe YouTube will get it, maybe you won't. I love that he knows that we're nerds, Tim. He doesn't even love it. worry I about it. Like, YouTube will, will get not, it. But there's a scene from the show Firefly which is dear to my heart where they go to Janestown and the guy's like looking at the statue of this like dumb character. He's like, this is what, this is what going mad feels like. Like, he's just like, like holding his face. Like, this is what it feels like. This is what, go-. and yeah, like I've used that gift so many times during 2016. Like, this is what it feels like to go mad. Like, because I, I, you know, Sarah and I are, are elder millennials and, <laughs> It hurts, but it's true. But like we remember the whole Clinton trials and the morality police. And, you know, I I remember Lindsey Graham on the Senate floor being like, you know, this is you know, this isn't about whether it's legal or illegal. This is about cleansing the office like, you know, this like moral high ground stuff. And we were like, yeah, go get them. We're taking America back for God. And then what? 20 years later, they're like, grab them by the pussy, I guess. Like, that's fine. Right. I mean, Franklin Graham literally used the example of David for Bill Clinton and made the point to say, listen, I know we're comparing people to David who messed up, but don't forget David's life was like destroyed after that, even after he repented. And yeah. he said that about Bill Clinton, like just because Clinton might admit he was sorry, doesn't somehow mean that he's qualified to lead, which by yeah. the way, I would still hold to that ethic. I would still say Bill Clinton should not be in politics because he essentially used his power to coerce a woman to have sex with him. All right. That's mm-hmm. problematic. But then yeah. it turn turned out to be this is like a little bit of like go my gender. 
she has turned out to yeah. be a victor, friends. Like totally. she, is, she was a she victim is, yeah. for so long. And people of jokes of what she was wearing matter. I mean, it was just terrible. And she has totally. really flipped the tables. I'm proud of her. No, a hundred percent. So it was it was very jarring, like you said, Justin, to be like, wait a second, guys. Uh, you know, I mean, listen, I I was born in eighty eight, so I'm like right in the middle of the pack. So I'm thirty four, and I had like I still have like some vague memories of it. And so it is, it was very bizarre. And I, the way I t- the way I, I frame it now, knowing what I know, is that it was it was a uh, it was the first realization that just because I shared the same beliefs with these people did not mean that I shared the same values. Like we had a different value mm-hmm. set. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize that at the time I thought, Hey, we're all in this, this kingdom, Jesus loving thing together. And I, I, I inhaled the sexual ethic that you gave me as being the biblical and only in God's only way. And so I just assumed that we're going to hold leaders that we would vote for, especially when people, I mean, we're not talking about, oh, Trump had one affair one time and is so sorry. We're talking about like talking about his daughter in really gross ways, bragging about sexually assaulting women, you know, sleeping with porn stars while his wife was pregnant and lying. I mean, that, that is not like everyday run of the mill, quote unquote, sexual promiscuity. This is like yeah. big stuff. And so it was very difficult for me to see that. And then, of course, 2016 turned into you know the 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 reign of Trump, and it was just a, a a descent into madness. Frankly, watching my my own faith tradition just just push it farther down that rabbit hole. Yeah, it's interesting because it it was like a the. I feel like it was a extension of kind of what you were talking about. Like you go all the way to the end of like, okay, if we're gonna do this, I don't want to have hypocrisy. I want to like question everything within this framework, and yeah. then it felt like that framework doesn't want to question anything as long as it fits within a certain thing. But then yeah. it was what was hard is it felt like no one was curious or critiquing. And it really has been we talk a lot about on the show because 2016, a lot of people got out of ministry. I think that was the beginning of like the great resignation or grand resignation or whatever. For a lot of people started during the uh, during the pandemic. But for people in ministry, particularly folks who worked in non-denoms like us mainline progressives, there's lots of other reasons why we um, made a shift. But I think there has been just so many people who have come on the show and said, I began to get curious about my faith tradition and not be able to swallow it anymore. When In 2016, when I saw how people around me just seemed to be nodding their heads with something that was so opposite of what I thought we were about. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. you could just read the Sermon on the Mount and compare <laughs> notes and be like, yeah, this ain't it. And somehow we're told, like, no, no, you don't get it. We need a commander-in-chief, not a pastor-in-chief. Like, wait, what are you talking about? Like, my whole yeah. life, you guys, you know that you told me, like, that, like to, to, to go to the pro-life rallies. You know you told me to be political for God, see you at the poll. Like, you taught me all of these things. <laughs> and now you're telling me that, no, don't read the Bible seriously. Don't read Jesus' words and take them seriously. Just ignore that because we need someone who will give us power and control. And a lot of us yeah. are like, no, like this, you, <laughs> you fools, you, you have literally created a monster, me. And now this monster's like, wait, wait, I'm going to turn on my owner mm-hmm. here because look what you've done. Like, like, like your values yeah. were never there to begin with. You know, I know that might be a crass way of putting it, but like, I really feel that way sometimes where it's like, I can't control at this point how I, how, how I was raised, the people. And by the way, many people in my faith tradition were good people. I did not have a traumatic church experience until after I started New Evangelical. So I, I, I realized that like, I'm one of the lucky ones. I've had great parents in my life. So I had a pretty smooth you know, run of it. But like, guys, 
you did help me build like my neural connections to think about life this way. And now you're mad at me for holding you to the same standard that you yeah. ingrained into me at like age four. I'm not the problem here. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's the wild thing is that the, the ethics that we were raised on, like we, we, those are our ethics now. Like, I mean, even people that have completely deconverted still remain typically baseline Christian in a lot of their ethics because that's, you know, that's just, that's the water we've swam, swam in for so long. And particularly when it comes to like, you know, as, as we, you know, focus on helping ministers and super volunteers kind of recover a bit, Rev cover. you know, nice. from this just honest, honestly whiplash, because in a lot of ways, those people that become super volunteers, those people that become pastors are the ones that took it the most seriously. Like the dude that was sitting in the back of the youth group that like slept through most of it and like probably slept with half the youth group like they're still happily in the pews right now like <laughs> they're doing fine <laughs> they're doing fine and it's those of us that really took it seriously that was like oh i made a purity pledge oh i dedicated my life to god oh like i'm actually gonna do this we're the ones that are like hold up a second and and it, we're falling apart now <laughs> uh, so like i feel like we're falling together yeah, we're falling together that's a great way to put it um i mean i think that it's all about this idea of like allowing ourselves to be curious about these things that we were taught yeah. and what holds up and what doesn't yeah. like, sure. I can yell as much as I want about being pro-life, but am I actually pro-life? Are you also yelling at every, you know, every time you hear about another death penalty thing, are you yelling about every time that, you know, healthcare isn't provided for people? Like it's, it's if you're going to do one, you have to do the other. And I think that's the hard part yeah. is we haven't allowed those connections to be made. Yeah, I mean, especially regarding the pro-life, you know, culture war that was started thanks to Jerry Falwell in the in the you know eighties, the that ethic of like, oh, we're pro-life because we want to outlaw all abortion is not as pro-life as you think when you start looking at data and like what drives people no. to have abortions. And the reality mm -hmm. is like we and I think most of the people that I engage with, even in more quote unquote far left spaces, tell me like, hey, listen, I don't want people to have to have abortions like i would like to have less abortions because we don't need them right and there's ways to do that we can expand birth control we can expand health care access we can make livable wages a thing there are ways to do that that actually have been proven to lower abortion rates because they promote human flourishing but when you tell someone who's pro-life that they go well they have to save sex you know for marriage well i don't want a socialist state so, that's, so it's like okay actually your highest ethic is not in your mind saving babies Right, because we have ways to do that that are actually way more effective than just outlawing it. Your actual ethic is actually just getting your power and control and getting your laws passed, regardless of the effect that 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 they're going to have. So, like once you go one like foot beyond just the rhetoric, it turns out when you present people with data, like, hey, here you go, like birth control will 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 minimize greatly the the unplanned pregnancy problem that we see, right? And they go, well, no, you know, that, that's against our sexual ethic. It's like, oh, my God, like, do you not hear yourself? Do you not hear yourself? So it, it does kind of drive me crazy to hear it. And it's fascinating, too. I don't know if you guys experienced this. So I grew up in a more progressive country and then I moved from Canada to the South, which is part of the story that we're always unpacking a little bit. And so I, I chose the purity culture stuff for myself. Uh, there's <laughs> My therapist will tell you there's lots of reasons. And I, <laughs> I think 
what's fascinating to me is after having been in that soup and as you call it, hearing that rhetoric for so long, when I would engage with friends who I actually agreed with around these things who were, you know, quite progressive. Again, I grew up in a progressive environment. It felt dangerous. And and I couldn't have told you why, but we were, I was trained anyway to be like, oh no, like what is that person saying? Yeah, I right, can't, right. like almost like you were um, suspect of like facts. So you said, if you actually look at the science and immediately, well, the only way we can get people to stop doing that is like to make science suspect, <laughs> science. <laughs> so if you, how did this new evangelicalism start? Like how... How did you get there? Because it's it's fascinating because this is now your career. I mean, you you went from being like, I will not be a professional Christian to like, yep. I am going to be like the guy who says the things that are hard. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> so, I mean, here I can give you the straw that broke the camel's back. Okay. It's Ready. a person. His name is Sean Foyt. Sean mm. Foyt is the let us worship worship guy who yes, in the middle here. of the pandemic was like, hey, I know what a good worship leader should do. Let's hold massive public gatherings with no masks in protests of tyranny during a pandemic. So at the mm-hmm. time, I was still very much involved at my local evangelical church. I'm a professional drummer. I still play to this day. I was playing there every weekend and just you know doing my thing. I absolutely loved the worship space. I loved playing. I loved I mean, for those of you out there who know, I love making sets in Ableton. I love the production. I, I love using time code. I was a huge production nerd, and I loved doing it. So when COVID shut down our church, which is props to my previous church, and they shut down, which is great, and I'm sitting on my, my rocking chair outside, and I see this guy, Sean Foyt, doing these these protest things, I thought to myself, and again, I was not like doing this work. I was not very, quote unquote, progressive. My theology was pretty standard evangelical, maybe thinking about some things. I said, you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see that, you know, wearing a mask is not tyranny and that if we don't know how COVID behaves yet, like this is this was when we were still wiping down surfaces because we just weren't sure how sure how it spread. If we don't right. know the details, it makes sense that we want to be cautious and err on the side of safety for the sake of our neighbors, our families, our kids, our parents. Like this is just a pretty yeah. logical outworking of Pandemics happen sometimes. They could be really deadly. Let's be really safe until we figure out the best way forward. And to see someone be like, no, in the name of Jesus, let's all gather thousands of people on our state capitol and protest with worship music because God is so powerful and faith over fear. And in impoverished spaces. Like for yes, us yes, yes. here, I, to hear that someone was going to be on uh, the area called Skid Row, and community leaders were saying, please do not come. We are, we, we don't have health care. Like our health care is at its maximum. Also, like, please don't come. The local right. people are begging you not to come. These are the most like vulnerable of our society. Totally. And you come marching down, literally marching down oh, to- the, yeah. the street mid I've never seen that. Absolutely. Jeez. So this is all happening, and I'm getting angry. Now, don't forget, we have, okay, we have Trump. Then we have the response to Black Lives Matter. We have the response to the lynchings of Ahmaud Arbery by evangelicals. I'm seeing all of this. I'm seeing pastors I know sharing Candace Owens' talking points. I'm just like, whoa. Like, I know who these people are. I, I grew up listening to talk radio. What is happening to see people that I go to church with sharing me videos on YouTube about a pandemic or how, you know, Ahmaud Arbery was actually armed when he wasn't? I mean, just blatantly misinformation, right? 
Yeah. And so you have all these things coming up, and then of course you have the uh, you know the oh the election is stolen narrative that now Christians are picking up and disseminating. And I'm just yeah. like wow. And then Sean Foyt's doing this, and I'm like this is it. I can't. I said to myself, we we need a new evangelical movement. That's what I thought to myself. I said, yeah, like like new evangelicals. I'm like, you know, Tim, you think it, you have a lot of thoughts and a lot of ideas, and usually they're pretty shitty. This is not a bad name, and you should see if someone else has it. So I just checked on like social media for the hell of it, and no one had it. So I said, you know, let me just grab it, and maybe one day I'll do something with it. And then that was October of 2020 and then i ended up launching the account which pretty much just i just took over over my personal account and switched it over to the new evangelicals on instagram i made a video saying hey here's my name here's why i'm doing this here's what i'm concerned about and then from there i realized oh this term deconstruction exists oh there's a lot of people thinking about these things already oh there's a term called christian nationalism that that i was like adjacent to so that kind of threw me into that world and then three months later my church sat me down and said hey you can either stop serving with us on the worship team um or you can stop doing the work you're doing online like those those are your two options so i stopped doing that work on the worship team i left the church and i've been going with this ever since then Ooh, this feels like a good place to take a break (laughs) because <laughs> all of a sudden your whole world <laughs> fell apart. Friends, you're going to want to stick around for after this. You'll get to hear. Good job, Sarah. Tim- you did it. I did you, it. You I, guys, I, I was so proud of you. We remember. Friends, I have to remind people to remind me to take a break. If you're wondering what being neurodivergent is like, yeah. if I like a conversation, it is very hard for me to get out. So I literally is like, yeah. Sarah, you've got to do this because it's such a good conversation. Anyway, I'm still a, going. So come back. So We're coming here. back. All right. <laughs> First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. Tim, I'm so glad that you started to share a bit of your story because everything turned out great and everyone's supportive of you, right? So you leave, you're asked to leave. Uh, you're like, leave. I, the... And you weren't volunteering, right? You were a paid staff member as a musician? No, I was volunteering. I was just volunteering. As a professional drummer, you were also gigging at your church. Yeah, I mean, yes. I mean, totally willingly. Yeah, I that that was not for for some people that could be like a, a point of contention. I never had a problem like donating my time to the church, although I still had to tithe. Mm-hmm. Long story, but my point <laughs> is that like I didn't feel coerced to do that. I was I'm a very much an all in person, so when I believe in something fully, I just yeah, if you can't tell, I just kind of go I for it. I don't get that vibe from you. So, <laughs> no, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I I was a volunteer when my pastor sat me down and had the the conversation. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I've never fired a volunteer, guys. That's not um, true. I, I did once. I had to tell a volunteer not to date a high schooler once. Oh, that's like not to like, <laughs> like, hey, wait until they're like, I had to have that conversation, but they weren't my volunteer. It's it's weird that like because I, I had I had that in my volunteer like packet as like, mm. if you want to date a teenager, I can't stop you, but you will not be a volunteer here if you do. You that. don't do it here. <laughs> like, like, it's not something we do. 
Mm-hmm. So and and I remember like I would go over that and every every time I'd go over it with like our new volunteer orientation, like people would roll their eyes like I'm not going to do that. Like, but still, <laughs> there's a reason I'm making sure role. that, you know, that, yeah, you're taking a vow of celibacy towards teenagers when you do this. Like, oh, sad that that exists. But Tim, let's yes. get back to poor you. Uh, well, not for you. Did you feel some freedom once you were released from not the church? well? I mean, so yes and no. Obviously, I made the decision. I said, okay, I have to keep doing the work that we're doing. It was too important. I was getting, we were getting too many DMs from people saying, "Hey, this is really helping me. This is saving my faith. This makes me feel like I'm not alone." So I'm like, okay, clearly there are people here like me who are going through this like topsy turvy time of their faith, and they need something. So I was, I mean, listen, I was not the only account at the time. There were many and many still do great, amazing work. So it's not that I'm saying we were the only spot, but like we were one place where people, people found a lot of help. So when my pastor gave me this, my senior pastor, my worship pastor wasn't even there. When I got this ultimatum of like, Hey, you know, you can either stop serving as a drummer, but you can serve somewhere else. You can still attend, which is, it's still a death sentence because my whole life is wrapped up in being with the worship team. I was an all in volunteer leading that thing with the worship pastor, right? So yes, yes, there was freedom, but the cost for me was like immense. You know, I mean, I lost 95% of my friend group, all the musicians that I networked with, they just stopped responding to me. Uh. I felt completely kicked out of the group. And listen, as someone who on the Enneagram to type six, relational loyalty is really important to me. I, I'm a foundationally a loyal person. And for me, friendships always like usurp beliefs. I have plenty of friends who I'm friends with even today who have very different beliefs politically and theologically than I do, but we're friends and we can make room for that. So it was a very weird feeling to have my church after me being there six years, being someone who was all in, you know, tithing, being committed, being someone who served, getting coffee with the senior pastor at least once a month, like being very connected. It was very painful to be told, well, you've reached the boundaries of of these beliefs that really you can't give your opinion on publicly, even though you're not talking on behalf of the church or even talking about the church. That's still too problematic for us, so you have to make a decision. And for the record, what I was not saying online was, hey, guys, uh, did the physical resurrection of Jesus happen or not? Uh, you know, <laughs> hey, is the, is the Trinity a real thing? Like, I was not questioning what most Christians would say are pretty foundational beliefs to hold as a Christian. Thumbs up. I was you questioning. Transubstantiation. Yeah. What is yeah. trans? Help me. I can't even say the word. I can't say it. I was homeschooled. Don't ask me. Um, transubstantiation. Transubstantiation. How'd I do? Good lord! The only one like drinking over here is guys. the one that got it, and I'm the one drinking water. Yeah, <laughs> what can I say? Yeah, I, I was not that questioning is, that. I think you know. Yeah, yeah. I think you weren't questioning the, the big things. You were thing questioning too. how we're um, treating each other, and that seems to be the point of contention. People seem to be able to be okay with we don't believe the same things uh, when it comes to actual theology, <laughs> but the but the place it comes in is how it interacts with humanity. So like women in ministry, LGBTQIA, yes. right? It's not our relationship to how we view the divine, which is what theology is, right? The study of God. But it is how people live that out. Yeah. And it's, who's well, in power. It's such a praxis question because right. like, I, I think most Christians would say like, you know, like God is love, you know? And then where we disagree is what does love look like? Right. What is the actual loving thing to do? Right. And that's and that's where I think 
that's one of the reasons I think I was kicked out was because I was talking about like I'm becoming LGBTQI affirming because I love these people and I think this is the best way to love them. And the problem is, is when you're existing in an unaffirming space, they start thinking, well, just by you existing, you're saying that I'm not loving. Like, right. Oh, your yeah. presence in this place, just existing as in here is making me feel bad. So you now have to go like you've got to get yeah. out because I, because sadly, and again, these aren't bad people. They're just humans. Like a lot of our religious structures are about making us feel better. Um, mm-hmm. And that's I don't even think that's a bad thing per se. But when it's like, oh, I can't be convicted ever for anything because I feel bad. That's when it really becomes a problem. So it, it sounds like you kind of got that treatment like, hey, you're you're wanting us to love each other better. And that's great, Tim. Uh, but, but you need to do that somewhere else. Yeah, I think if I'm thinking about it as clearly as I can almost two years later, I think it was part the typical, okay, as the pastor, I have to protect the flock from like, you know, wolves in sheep's clothing. And mm-hmm. Tim is just kind of pushing beyond boundaries that that are acceptable to me. Therefore, if young kids or teenagers who look up to him start believing this stuff, they could, he could lead people astray. So I think that's one thing. And I think the other thing too is just the fact that I was, talking about really the the two things my pastor quoted to me where I talked about the tithe and my view on tithing, which I don't believe in tithing. And I talked about, and at the time I wasn't even fully affirming. I was really just more inclusive, meaning I was like, Hey, regardless of my theological position, it shouldn't affect how we love, you know, the queer community, like they should be accepted and loved. So that's like what I call an inclusive position. I was really there on the way to affirming, but I wasn't fully there yet. I was just asking the question like, Hey guys, if if the church can have people inside of it who disagree on like you know uh, women pastors or not, and they don't you know they don't call each other heretics and say how how terrible you are, why can't we make oh, room people for people do. who would be well some do, but like I was in the AG, so you know that was an issue for them, oh. right? But I, I, that was kind of my my logic at the time. I was like, well, hey, listen, we disagree on all kinds of things that that aren't these like you know mountains. So why can't we have like room to give and take here? So those two things, I think were just like unacceptable, you know, ultimately. Mm-hmm. And we're like, hey, you're just on a path. Uh, he probably thinks to leaving the faith, I was just leaving what I call the basement of evangelical fundamentalism in, in, in walking up the stairs to the house of the Christian tradition. So I think those were the two things for me that looking back on were kind of at play here that eventually put me in that position to say, you got to go. You brought up something that I think is the pain point for so many people when they're trying to figure out, should I be vocal about what I believe. And that's the fear of no longer um, belonging. That's the fear of, I have been convinced that my community will not be able to make space for me. I have been convinced that my community will not accept me. And you're, it happened Uh, happened. when you were no longer accepted by the overall uh, judging body. (laughs) Um, Yes. Musicians who are supposed to be the most open a lot of times that the people who are on you know high school was hard for a lot of my friends that were really good musicians high school was hard because you're a creative in a non-creative space a lot of the times and so when you find each other it's just like there is a dynamic of not only do we share this faith thing together we share music which is an entire different language like it has its own language and this community that is so beautiful because you you practice together which is it's almost like going through you know you've been in the trenches together and then all 100%. of a sudden to be turned away from that. And we've had 
countless people in our community, in our Discord community, talk about like, I, th- what was hardest was the moment I knew that if I, if I was honest about what I was believing and feeling, I would lose people. And the hard part mm-hmm. is it does happen. Uh, yeah. I, a thousand percent. I mean, it, it was very difficult to lose dear friends that I shared a lot of time on the platform with, that I traveled with, that I sat in a circle of encouragement with, and we encouraged each other and cried. You know, all those things, like, they bond you. And uh, I don't know, I, I feel like I, I thought it was, hey, we're friends, right? Like, no matter what you end up believing, like, I'm going to love you because, like, you're who you are because you're made of the Imago Day and you're that person and you're irreplaceable. And it felt very much the opposite for me. You know, I felt like I was mm-hmm. very replaceable because Tim stopped believing whatever core beliefs we mm-hmm. hold which of course are ridiculous anyway. And so now Tim has to kind of just phase out because, hey man, like, you know, our our friendship was really contingent upon this. Now, the, here's the good news. For example, I'm sure I, I know that there are people out there probably listening to this who feel like they're terrified to say mm-hmm. some of this stuff publicly. And let me just say, by the way, I there is no shame or guilt for saying I need people in my life and if I have to be quiet right now so I can survive and have these people in my life, I need yeah. to do that. You have, you, you're, yeah. you're allowed to do that, okay? However, what I will tell you is if you end up being more vocal about who you are and let's say you lose those friends, the good news is that you will survive. Like you will get through it. And to Sarah's point, I do feel an immense sense of freedom now where I could never go back to that space. I couldn't. Like, I don't even really want to anymore. Not necessarily the people. Like, if someone called me today to apologize and say, hey, we were wrong, I would have lunch with them in a heartbeat. You know, yeah, let's talk. It's all good. But I don't want to go back into those spaces and be under this illusion that somehow I was ushering the kingdom of God in because I was doing these massive tom builds on my drum set and there was haze everywhere. You know, that was a very (laughs) illusionary way of living It was, it was like a false sense of like actual Jesus work. You know, I thought yeah. that 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 facilitating these moments, which it's not necessarily bad, but when, but but when when that becomes the thing, when that becomes the metric for how God shows up or how God changes the world, it's it's very inadequate for 99% of the population in in the world right now. It doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and it's very separate. I think we haven't taught as you're talking, I was just thinking, we really haven't taught people how to be friends as adults Uh, because friendship as adults uh, is a question people ask all the time. Learned how to be be curious instead of concerned because I think sometimes the reason we lose people is all of a sudden you become dangerous. I know for a fact, I've had friends tell me for a while, I didn't want to talk to you, Sarah, because I knew that I was starting to think the way you think and it, it threatened my ability to stay in the ministry I was in mm-hmm. or it threatened yeah. my ability to um, hold on to the community I thought I needed. Yes. And, and uh, apologies have been amazing. Funny thing is too, why are we always taking people to lunch or coffee? Like we don't want the commitment <laughs> of dinner. I don't know what it is. <laughs> like, it's like, I would have lunch with them. If this goes I would bad, have a midday snack. I want to be able to, <laughs> to, be able to hey, if they'll pay for dinner, dinner. I'll go to dinner yeah. as long as you want to pay. Like, I'm not paying for dinner, right? Just, I, don't I think it's funny because I always say, oh, I'd go to lunch with them. This, um, this, I, there's a businessman that told me, always take people to breakfast because it's the cheapest meal of the day. <laughs> it's like, Amen. Oh. I mean, that's good. Mm-hmm. but. You know, listen, when I you're mean, broke, like- you do what you got to do. Yeah, you do what you got to do. <laughs> I think maybe that's why they want coffee. I just think it's such a it's such an interesting thing, though, that we know there's something about having a meal, don't we? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, there's something mm-hmm. about being a human and sitting over. It's like a it's a 
it almost levels the playing field. Like it's, if done correctly, having a meal with someone in a restaurant feels like we're being humans together in this moment and scriptural, yeah. all that sort of stuff. And I think that we've lost the capacity to allow space for someone else to be human and see things differently. The problem is I can say that, but there are, and you pointed out, Tim, like when I say that, I still have to rail against Christian nationalism and I still have to, if you are actively harming people that I love, then I cannot make space for you. I mean, actively harming. If you are, if your policies, if the way that you, if you want to claim that being anti-drag show has anything to do with drag shows, I, I don't know how to make space for you. I can sit, we can talk about it. But if you are actively harming people, that's the tough spot, right, Tim? I don't know. Um, so yes, that is definitely the tough spot. So on paper as a nonprofit organization, our mission statement says that we prioritize, we hold space for folks who have have been marginalized by the evangelical church. We advocate for accountability and we help people explore the Christian tradition. So our priority, as far as our community goes, are the people who have been kind of run over by the bus, so to speak, right? However, I'm also a very pragmatic person, and I've realized that, you know, I was my views didn't change because people yelled at me. Like, I, w- I was not changed from a non-affirming to, affirming to an affirming position because I was called a homophobic asshole on Twitter or Facebook, right? It never worked. What worked Weird. was I had oh, friends who I met for the first work. time that I worked with who were gay and started just sharing their life with me. And then when one of them finally told me that, you know, his youth pastor, when he was a teenager, called him an abomination, I mm-hmm. believed him. And I said, oh, my, I was heartbroken. Like, that was the beginning of seeds that were planted in my own life of like, wait a second, something's not adding up here. Like, it kind of bypassed all of my defenses and just like went straight in. It took root into my brain. I said, wait, my experience hasn't been that, but yours has. And so something isn't right. And so where I land personally, and this is not for everyone to hold to, this is just how I navigate these spaces, is that I I will talk to almost anyone. I mean, I flew to Arizona to go to Turning Point USA's America Fest. That's for like Candace Owens, Matt Walsh. They're all there. (laughs) I need you to know as your friend how (laughs) nervous that made me. I will see those Instagram posts and I'm like, Tim is where? Yeah. Well, the good news is that the good news is that I am Theo bro passing. You know, that's what I tell people. So like I can pass as like one of them. You know, I can speak the language. Oh, 100 percent. And so, you know, so I I had to go, though. I had to go. Someone actually someone who was speaking at the event invited me. They flew me out. They paid my hotel. They gave me a thousand bucks. Yeah, I donated. I donated it back to the organization. And I said, you know what? I, I know what they believe. I can look it up uh, online and see any quote from anyone I want who's going to be there. But what's the culture that makes this yeah. work? What's the attitudes of these people? What are they like when they're not in front of a screen or on a stage screaming at people? And I just went in with the approach of I'm just going to be curious. I'm just going to be there for them. I'm going to try yeah. and be as relational as possible because, again, that bypasses defenses. And so for three, 16 hour days. That's what I did. Okay. I mean, I walked the, I walked the whole, there was 11,000 people there. I walked that place every square inch of it. And I spoke to all of them, every person almost who either I've called out or they've called me out. We shook hands and met in person and talked all of them. 
And a couple of them got my number. A couple of them wanted a picture. A couple of them asked me out to have coffee. And we just talked. Now, I know that the people I am in community with, especially the more marginalized voices, are harmed by those people, right? So I wasn't there to say, hey, let's just sing Kumbaya. But I went there almost on behalf of those people so I could better know how these systems work. So when we're critiquing it, we're more accurate. And when and as we try and break through, hopefully to something if we can, you know, they they know that I'm I'm not here because I I, I think that 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 they're inherently evil or wicked. I think that we have to have a conversation. We have to start thinking about things differently. But how do I get what I want? Well, it's not by yelling at them. That definitely will not do it. But the other part for me is let's talk. I have a lot of questions for you, and all I can yeah. do is hope questions take root. And that they start kind of getting planted and that as they know that I'm here to talk to them whenever they want, as they start thinking about it more, we can talk more. It's a slow game. It's not microwavable. It's not quick. And, you know, it's not perfect, of course. But that's that was my approach. And, man, I mean, it was something. I ended up meeting with one of the biggest Christian nationalist pastors who actually pastors Charlie Kirk, Rob McCoy. This is like one of the major dudes. And I sat with him for 15 mm-hmm. minutes and asked him all my questions. I said, help me understand how you claim to be a Christian and you're in a space that is actively you know, calling for dehumanization of political enemies, that's advocating for not loving but hating your enemies. I asked him that question to his face, and he gave me a terrible response. He gave me a Seven Mountain Mandate style response about, about, yeah. about why Trump was good. Well, Trump's a good businessman. It was garbage. But you know what it did for me? It reinforced that my critiques are not strawmen. They are not bad critiques. No. They are mm-hmm. good critiques because I've talked to them. So that yeah. that has helped me just kind of, you know, navigate that. But again, I it's complicated for sure. Yeah. <laughs> it has to be relational. Yeah. I I often think, you know, so I got invited and went to the prayer breakfast. <laughs> uh, nice. That Trump went to. Uh-huh. Ooh. And not only that, but I was in the room. So the a, right. a lot of people get invited to the prayer breakfast, but not everyone gets in the room. So I was in the room along with my friend Lamont, who does uh, racial reconciliation. They brought us in, um, in some ways, to be a dissenting voice because there were certain people that were running the prayer breakfast who said, this is problematic that all of our people are, like this is not a reflection for them of the kingdom of God, that there's people who are are all. So, and the only thing, Tim, I literally, this is exactly what I said. I said, I have been invited to a table that so many of my friends will not be. And I'm not saying this is the right table, but I am saying if these people want to leave the table, I need to point out, like, I, I got to ask, Questions that a, I mean, I understand that I look like a Southern sorority girl, and so I can sit and ask questions that other people can't, and and I'm disarming. I understand that I'm disarming, yeah, and so exactly. to be able to ask the question of, and then to say, like one woman was going on and on about immigrants, and so I I let her go on and on, and then I said, you know what's interesting is that I'm an immigrant, and she was like. <laughs> what? And I said, yeah. well, she's like, not all immigrants. I was like, no, I'm like, I'm an immigrant who had to go through the process. And it's a little bit different for sure, because I come from an English speaking country and because I look a lot like an American, but I'm actually an immigrant. And so for me, I did not become American until I was in my twenties. And yeah. having that conversation with this woman, she softened. Totally. She softened. And I don't yeah. even know, like, and I, and I had several of those conversations. Now I will tell you, and I, I, I don't, would think it'd be the same for you, Tim. At the end of that weekend, I was wrecked, like tired in a way that I cannot even, and in some ways disheartened because I'd sat and heard things that are 
hard to hear. And yet there was a little piece of me that was like, all right, maybe this is something, maybe I planted a seed, maybe I didn't, but my little like optimistic self is hopeful that the only way these people are going to change is relationship with people who think and look differently than them. And I can't give up on them. And some people can, and some people are done with a difference and I'm not, I just, there's sometimes, sometimes I don't have room for it. What's interesting to me is that, okay, let's just speak broadly about Christian nationalism, Christian nationalism for a second, because it's so important to talk about, because we're kind of in that space right now with this conversation. I am incredibly convinced that broadly speaking, Christian nationalism's like logic, the framework is really, it does not make a lot of sense. It folds in on itself. There's no consistent theological view to it besides you know, a divine mandate to take over the country. But even then, when you ask people, well, what is it? What does that look like? They can't give you answers. And I've asked some of the leading voices in this movement for those answers. Okay. So I I I am very emphatic that that there is nothing redeemable about this Christian nationalist ideology oh, no. that 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 actually is committing so much harm, right? But I also know that they operate out of fear. They're always freaking out about something. There's always someone around the corner that's going to take over, you know, their life or destroy the country. But I also know, because I'm still a Christian, that perfect love casts out all fear. And so I think about this idea of like, you know, I wonder if me just being someone who obviously, listen, if you look at our, at our Instagram, you will see we are very clear about how we see this stuff. We are very clear about about how we view all of it. We we don't we don't hide behind anything. And I would say any of that to any one of their faces. In fact, I have, okay? So that being said, I do know, though, that if I can approach them with a sense of, hey, I see that you're a human being and you are tr- you think you're doing the best thing that you can do with the information that you have. So how about thinking about it like this, right? That's, that's, that's the way I found to use as a white, you know, cisgendered man in America, the most privileged type of person to exist. That's, that's one of the ways that I've found a way to use my privilege to hopefully churn things. Because like you said, I can get into spaces that some other people can't, and they can get into spaces that I can't get into. And so we need each other to do that work together. And this is kind of one of the ways that I'm trying to kind of internally maybe start trying to turn the ship a little bit. We'll see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's turning. I have to ask, because I'm so curious, you did lose your community. Have you yeah. found, because the people listening, a lot of people are going to be, you know, we're preaching to the choir in some ways. A lot of people have already made that shift or a mid shift, right? At, and they, some people have left the thing they were part of, whether they were a volunteer or church staff member, whatever it might be. But they're wondering, like, where does one find community? And is it only in deconstructive spaces? Because that doesn't fit everybody. Yeah, what yeah, do you totally. think about that? Yeah, I mean, first off, I'm not a fan of the term deconstruction a whole lot. I, I, I think it's a little too broad for my taste. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not knocking if you want to use it, but like, it's just really big. We have a, a couple core friends in our like in-person life that have really, and I mean this seriously, have been the the hands and feet of Jesus to us through those moments, including two from our church, our previous church who we still talk to have been nothing but amazing. So we have a few friends that we definitely hang out with and try and reach out to and, and spend time with that, that that is important. I do think, I'm 34, we have two kids under three, and I think American culture in general is not good at building like legitimate friendships beyond a certain age it's just hard because life is busy you're just trying to survive the economy is shit i'm just trying to pay bills my wife's trying to raise two kids and clean their diapers you know like like it's a very like weird life to try and integrate it with someone else's very busy life 
But I will say for what it's worth, and it has major limitations, I have found quite a few people online that I engage with pretty often that I've met, you know, through either things like Trip Fuller's, you know, Theology Beer Camp or just through networking in these spaces. So a lot of people have found a sense of belonging in some of these digital spaces, but I do think going forward, big picture, like five, 10 years from now, we as these like pockets of this deconstruction explosion and, and who kind of exist in these weird post evangelical spaces need to start thinking about, well, what does it look like to actually just help facilitate people to connect to each other, like in their local areas? Like for, for example, one thing that we do is if you go to our website, you can sign up for free. There's no cost or anything that, that we offer, but you can log into a map of the world and you can put in your town and then see who's in your town and you can message them like for free. You can just do that. You can just go and say, okay, I live in New Jersey. Here's my town. And you can see who's in your area. And then you can message them and say, Hey, you want to meet up because we have a shared connection here. So we're trying to create those little pockets of like ways for folks to connect just so they can become friends and just know that, that, that they're like not alone. And I've actually heard quite a few stories of folks who have actually become solid in-person friends through those means. But I do think that's the big picture going forward is, okay, digital is nice. It has a place. It could be a, a, a great like middle ground, but long-term, I need people who I can go to Target with. You know, yeah. I need people who, who can yeah. come over for a random ass game night. We can play Monopoly or some shit. I don't know. And maybe, you know, eat dinner. I need those people in my actual life. So I think that that's yeah. kind of the, the long-term plan for me. Yeah, it's a starting point. I think it was never meant to be the ending point. I mean, even Justin yeah. and I, we I think we freaked out uh, in a hotel lobby. I think we freaked out most people that were in the lobby because we're like, you exist. You're in real life. <laughs> like we were totally. so happy to be around okay. each other because we'd been like each other's really close friends for over a year at that point. Yeah. And when I left my ministry job, Justin and I weren't working on the show, but we were really good friends. And so it was like, I'd shared life with this person, but I hadn't met them. And it was like almost like it was that was the yeah. starting point. But having like face to face time makes I don't know. It just feels like they're it feels yeah. like we're meant to do we're that. Like, we're like, you have legs. You have legs. I've never seen your legs. <laughs> Again, he's tall. Guys, why am I so small? I've had so many people say, why are you? I didn't think you'd be so small. You're so small. Oh, they say that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. You know, rude. I mean, you, the, the thing is, though, <laughs> funny, the funny thing is, like, Sarah, you're not like that short. Like, you're on the no. short side of normal, but like, you know, there are people that are like, oh, wow, you're short. Um, I don't, <laughs> I don't see you as that, but no, um, I'm not like, I'm 5'4, yeah. so I'm just, I'm average. I'm the average yeah. height. I think just people, because I wear heels a lot or like whatever, people just assume I'm bigger than I am. Yeah. Um, you have such a big presence. That's what it yeah, is. That's what it is. I am so um, grateful for you yeah. chatting with us, Tim. I, I've i got this like sense that people are responding to you in such strong ways. Do you feel like there is a shift? Do you feel like, like, do you feel like people start to feel a crack and then they find you? Or do you feel like there is a sense that you guys are sort of shifting people by your content? Like, is it both and? Yeah, it's always hard to like see your see the work that your organization is doing in that way of like yeah we're definitely making an impact here what i will say is that the way we see ourselves and by the way it's not just me there's a board of directors there's about 18 volunteers who all chip in and make all yeah, the work you've been possible, very so. clear about that which i think is great my friend donates to you and she's like i just love that like i'm giving money to someone who is so transparent they had had a really bad church experience like yeah. a very bad church experience and so they're yeah. they're saying like 
the reason I do it is this person is so clear about this is what the money's like. This is what I'm giving myself. And she's like, sometimes I think, Tim, you should be giving yourself more. She's like, so I just <laughs> like decided to send more money. because I'm like, Tim, I'm worried about you. Uh, well, that's that's super kind. But yeah, I mean, we, we are, you, you can go to our website right now and see our profit and loss statement for last quarter. Like it's all there. It's all transparent. Um, but I sell that because the way that we see ourselves is going back to that house analogy, right? If a lot of us kind of grew up in this basement of fundamentalism and you're walking up those stairs and you thought because of what people told you that all that's up there is like a desert wasteland and you open the door and you're like, holy shit, I'm actually still in the house. And like, it's <laughs> overwhelming, right? There's there's thousands of rooms and like, wait, you're saying there are other ways of viewing the Bible and the Christian faith. Essentially, we are just that first room for when people walk out of that basement and say, oh my God, there's actually a house still. I can still breathe. And we go, yes, you can breathe. In fact, the air is a lot cleaner up here. And yeah. guess what? You don't have to sacrifice your love for people in 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 like in hopes of like being a better Christian. Actually, they're actually quite congruent. Uh, and so we just try and be that first room. And then we offer people the option to do whatever they want. Some people say, listen, I want out of the house. Like, where's the front door? And like, there it is. Yeah. Like, you can walk out the house. Some people want to explore more of the room. Some people just need to sit and vent. We just try and hold space for all of that. So that's kind yeah. of like the work that we do. And whether we're changing the tide or like, you know, we're helping people just like not quote unquote lose their faith, that's up to them. I I think that most people we engage with are having a crisis of theology, not a crisis of faith. Like there's a massive yeah. difference. Like most of us are not rethinking, oh, does God exist? I believe God exists. Okay, we got that established. I'm still a Christian. I got that established. But what do I believe about being a Christian and about following this Jesus person? That's the theological shift that I think is happening. Yeah. I love that because Justin yeah. and I talk yeah. about it. We don't always just want to have people that have left. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I and there's room I for guess, that, you know? If I can ask a personal question, like how do you, and you're doing this work, you're seeing in some ways the worst of Christianity. How do you stay Christian? Because <laughs> I can't. And some yeah. days Sarah can't. It depends if it's like Tuesday. Just kidding. Yeah. I am usually a Christian on Mondays. I'm an atheist by Wednesday. And then I, I kind of roll back around at some point. But so how, how give us Tim's tips. <laughs> we have a segment called Tim's Tips. I like that. Tim's Tips. Um. Well, I mean, first off, I, I think for me, what I would say to myself is, well, Tim, are you not an evangelical fundamentalist anymore, or are, or are you not a Christian? Because like, they're very different things. And yeah. so for me, it's very easy to say, yeah, we critique the basement that birthed us because of how problematic it is, and also how powerful it is. But that doesn't represent like the 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 broad. Christian tradition at all. And so there are people that like I engage with or that I I've met like Trip Fuller. That 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 might be a common name for all of us, right? I, I met Trip doing this work. I had him on a podcast interview and I'm like, holy, holy smokes. Like I love how this guy is talking. And then he goes, I'd rather be an atheist than a Calvinist. I'm like, I love this guy. Like I'm in. <laughs> mm -hmm. So Sounds there like there are people that I've there are people that I found who are brilliant theologians and scholars of this shit who are like, actually, I'm still very much Christian. And I'm like, okay, I want to be that kind of Christian. So that for me is helpful. And then also just, you know, from, I mean, this sounds cliche, but like, 
when I read the stories of Jesus, when I think about like what Jesus advocated for, the life that he lived that we have through the gospels, you know, that I I take as somewhat reliable. I know there's a lot of debate over that. I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of in for this. Like this this whole thing, subversion of empire, this whole, you know, like just way of 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 thinking about the world and in in this hope. Again, I'm not making an objective truth claim. I'm making a hope claim that at the end of the day, there is a God who wants to reconcile all things and, you know, partner with humanity to bring heaven to earth. Okay. Is that a reality of objective truth? I don't always know, but is it a great (laughs) ideal that I want to live towards? Yes. Like, yes, Mm -hmm. I want to aim towards that. So whatever glimpse I can do, whatever part I can play of bringing my little glimpse of heaven on earth, whether it's in my home or with people online, that is a great life worth living from my vantage point. So that's how I see it. I think it's beautiful. I think, you know, because I was thinking like, oh, man, sometimes it feels like I feel very protective of our folks who are part of the community who like Christianity is absolutely a no go. I get it. Like you're that's a fair read. It's a fair place to land. Um, and some days I'm like, yep. And for me, it's like I'm just in much more of a like questionable. I don't even know. But there's like loveliness in the stories and there's loveliness and like I could even teach on them because they're still lovely to me. Some of them are lovely. Some of them are not lovely. <laughs> but the whole point um, being, <laughs> yeah. I think as much of my life has become a place and spot of curiosity for me, that's like I'm still curious about stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been a drummer for 23 years. Okay. And I, 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 I'm pretty proficient, but I also know that like the more I play, the more I realize how little I know about drumming. Right. And for some reason in my, in my like faith tradition, I was taught the opposite. Like by age 18, I just had it all figured out and there's nothing (laughs) else to explore. And now that I'm kind of like out of that, I'm like, oh my God, I thought I knew so much. I know so little about the Christian tradition. I have to keep exploring before I decide if I ever decide to walk out of the house because wow, like there's so much more beauty and problems, but also beauty that I think is <laughs> Ooh, worth exploring, web. you know? Mm-hmm. So, so that, that kind of helps me go, you know, or, or keep going for sure. Well, thank you, Tim. And thank you for your voice. It has been such a, a gift. And it, so many people I encounter tell me that your voice has been really important for them. So thank you for giving us of your oh. time. Is there uh, anything that you want to share with our listeners? Is there any way that you got anything coming up or anything that you would like to promote? Nothing really coming up. You know, you can check out our work on the new evangelicals.com or on Instagram, TikTok, wherever, you know, the word new evangelicals is. We have our own podcast, so you can find us there. And I'm very active in Instagram DMs, so you can always reach out. And I would love to talk to you. Thank you so much, Tim. Yeah, thanks a lot, Tim. Thanks for having me. It was so much fun. It was so much fun. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you are enjoying the conversations you hear on RevCovery, you can continue the conversation with us and many more incredible people in the RevCovery room on Discord. To access our Discord, please join our Patreon to become part of the RevCovery room community. You can join for as little as $4 a month, and this helps us produce the show, as well as gives you access to the community resources. Check it out at www.patreon.com revcovery. We know that not everyone is able to financially support the show, but there are lots of ways to support us, including giving us a five-star review wherever you're listening right now. And make sure to like and subscribe across all social media. 
Recovery Room is our Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook handle, so you can find us there to keep the conversation going. Now on to some final thoughts and this week's poem. Friends, thanks again for sticking around for another episode of RevCovery. And thank you so much for being part of this community. We are, we're always grateful when you reach out. We're just grateful for the fact that people continue to listen, continue to share, and continue to say that you are not alone in this journey. I just got a message today actually from someone who was saying that this podcast has been a place where they've been able to find community. And so I'm really grateful for that. And along those lines, this conversation really got me thinking about how relationship are these places and spaces where transformation happens. And it also got me thinking about this idea of home. As someone who has moved around a lot in my life, I have a really difficult time understanding home. And so I found this quote years ago, um, and I don't know exactly uh, how it fits here, except that whatever you think about the house that you grew up in, and, and by that I mean the faith structure you grew up in, may you know that within you there is already a home. May you know that you bring your home with you simply by being yourself. So this is from Snail's Pace. Uh, David Allen Royster is the writer of this. Only snails know there is no rush when you learn to carry home with you. For me, it's that idea that I already have all that I need within me. And may you feel the same way. Again, thank you so much for joining us, and we look forward to catching up with you next week. First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know.